And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Monday, February 22nd. Derek Van Riper here with Ido Saris. It is time for our reliever preview. We've been putting this off for several weeks. It is the position that we probably have avoided by design because it's a mess this year. It's been bad for a few years now, but it's probably worse than ever, right? Yeah, you see the thumbs down from Eno. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button on this video. Be sure to subscribe to our Rates and Barrels channel. We're going to talk about every kind of reliever, elite closers, second-tier closers, third-tier closers, unsettled closer situations. We'll talk about sparps. We'll talk about non-closer high-leverage plays that are going to help you with your ratios. So, Lots of reliever talk on this episode. Uh, before we get to that, you know, how's it going for you on this Monday? It has been a hard Monday morning. Uh, just cold and woke up at 5.30 thanks to the dogs. Who knows why? And so, you know, it's a long week in front of us. But drafts are starting and baseball will be played and uh, news is happening, and uh, people are saying dumb things in Seattle, mm-hmm. uh, are getting their uh, comeuppance for it. So, uh, I don't know. It's these kind of things that uh, kind of help you swim move past the, you know, got to walk the dogs in 30-degree weather at 6 a.m. kind of Monday morning feeling you can have sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Shout out does, to anyone who's listening to us right now, walking their dog in really terrible weather. <laughs> and there are some of you out there. I know that's a, that's one way that you kind of make it through the the cold dog walking part of the season. But uh, a lot to get to on this episode, and it does feel like baseball is here because PitchCon took place over the weekend. Our friends over at Pitcher List put on that great event, raised over ten thousand dollars. Uh, half of that going to Feeding America, so a great job by Nick Pollock, Alex Fast, and it was a lot of fun being a part of that. They're going to put all the presentations up on YouTube over the course of this week, too, so if you want to catch up on those, lots of good stuff. Eno was on a panel. I was on a panel. It was fun. Thankfully, they won't put up uh, any recordings of that uh, late-night poker game. <laughs> oh, man, I got a little silly. But it was really fun uh, to, to see people <laughs> and to hang out. It was, uh, it was good times. Apparently, apparently, um, I uh, was so loud in my little basement lair playing poker uh, that my kids who were trying to... Sometimes we let the kids sleep downstairs um, on the weekends just as like, a, hey, something else. And um, so they were trying to sleep right above me, and I was dropping F-bomb after F-bomb. And I think at some point, one of the kids was screaming back, Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) Officially, we have forgotten how to hang out around people. Yes, many apologies to my wife and children. (laughs) 
On that note, uh, let's begin with the reliever preview. We'll start with some elite options. We've been talking about everything within the framework of NFBC ADPs, mostly because that's the best source of early draft activity. The thing that makes saves a bit different there, of course, for those who are not familiar with the NFBC, you can't make trades in those leagues. And you can't really punt a category in those leagues if you have any hope of doing well in the overall competition. So, it's not really an option to punt saves in this format. I think that drives up reliever prices quite a bit. I think the first question, though, when you start to look at this position group, you see four guys that I would say are elite within the group of relievers, and there's even some differences between these four guys. But based on price, at least, you have Liam Hendricks and Josh Hader just inside the top 60 overall. And since February 1st, Hendricks going just slightly ahead of Hader in terms of ADP, you got about a 15-pick drop before you get to Aroldis Chapman, and Edwin Diaz is jammed in there along with Rysel Iglesias. Now, I just said five names. I said four elite closers. I think there's a concern for me with Edwin Diaz about his ability to hold the job. He has elite skills, but he does not have what I would call elite job security, and that's what makes it really difficult for me to think about drafting him in the sixth round of a snake draft where I can't make trades for more saves and can't really cover my roster elsewhere where I'm chasing in fab if it doesn't work out. Yeah, it's just that command. And I could, you know, read you uh, Diaz's command number um, and and point out that it's not good at 85. The problem is uh, there's tons of relievers with uh, with command plus scores in the 80s. Um, and you know, like Jake Diekman has an 86, uh, Tyler Rogers has an 86, Andrew Miller is an 85. Part of the reason, Zach Britton, 84. Well, actually that's a, no, that's an 84, 84. Part of the reason they're all relievers is because they don't have great command. And then you add in the fact that all of their seasons are small samples. You get this just complete difficulty. I would almost say impossibility of projecting relievers well. Because uh, we already know that projecting pitchers is tougher, and now you're going to walk off a 60-game 60 60 game sample. Um, I think that there becomes an outsized importance in velocity uh, when and you're in this situation. And I've talked to agents, and when agents now hear from teams about their relievers, they ask, what does the velocity look like? What do the, the track man stats look like? That's why Jeremy Jeffress, coming off a totally viable season, just got a minor league deal. Because he's just showed the worst velocity of his career, so that's the one. That's my pushback, I guess, for Edwin Diaz is is me saying uh, there are only two starters, uh, two relievers projected uh, for more than one save next year that are in the top ten uh, in both velocity and strikeout rate, and one is Edwin Diaz and the other is Aroldis Chapman. I think that's a big part of why Diaz, at least by the market, is then included as part of that group. And it's not like, for what it's worth, I don't have Edwin Diaz buried in my rankings. He's my next closer at five. I just felt like there's a bit of a, a confidence drop there. I, I think with Rysel Iglesias, we talked about him a few weeks ago, a three-pitch closer who just has a really firm hold in the job. And I think he was a lot better than people realized, really going back through 2019 and 2020. It's a longer track record where he's really settled in as not necessarily an elite skills guy, but a second tier skills guy who does have elite job security. So what, what do you prefer? Like if you're choosing between those so two I'm guys, I'm going to push back on you again. 
I'm ahead, pushing push back away. on you. This is good. This is good. This is good. It's spicy. <laughs> um, th- so we, it's really funny when you look at Rysel Iglesias. Uh, he's projected uh, for a 10.9 strikeouts per nine. Um, and his fastball velocity last year was 96.4. You're like, sweet, right? Like that, that sounds great. Uh, that velocity uh, among pitchers projected for one save, uh, one save or more next year, that velocity is 28th. <laughs> 28th. And that strikeout rate is 32nd. I don't know. Like, like you just have to recalibrate your brain every couple of years in baseball. I feel like we're just like, <laughs> oh, ninety six is is meh. You know, ninety six is meh. Eleven strikeouts per nine is meh. Okay, all right. So that's my pushback: is that like everything looks hunky dory for Iglesias, but it's slightly meh actually. <laughs> I think the thing that drew me to him looking at the multi-year numbers, though, was the zone contact percentage, 76.5% mm-hmm. right there in the same range as Liam Hendricks, as a role as Chapman, not quite as good as Edwin Diaz, uh, better than someone who I have in the next group, Ryan Presley, who I do like. I like Ryan Presley quite a bit. I think that's another part of it. Situation. Presley and Iglesias um, have look identical according to this analysis almost. I mean, Presley's slightly lower below. Um, but uh, otherwise they look very similar I, and I like them both. I think they, I think me, they are the start of the next year. I think that the, the elite for me is, uh, Chapman, Diaz, Hendricks. I don't know if I put a, fourth, a third one in that. I think it's almost like pitching where there's just, the, the starting pitching where there's just like three guys. Am I missing somebody? Who did, who did you put in your top five? Who am I missing? Hater Hendricks, Chapman, Iglesias, and then Diaz. Okay. So I have, I'll have it, um, uh, like Chapman Hater, basically almost a tie, but the Chapman Hater, uh, Diaz, comfortable third, and then I think almost a tier, and then the next group. So I'm we're 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 splitting hairs here a little bit, right? <laughs> I'm yeah. calling the tier end at three and saying Presley and Iglesias are are in that next tier, but I I am saying that like Presley and Iglesias to me um, have a little bit of risk as opposed to like. Chapman strikes out 14 per nine and still averages 98 on the fastball. You know what I mean? It's like uh, there is actually a gulf between that and striking out 10 or 11 per nine and averaging 94, 95. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely a, a big skills gap there, relatively speaking. But job security is a bigger focus for me than ever as it pertains to this closer pool. Of these elite names we're talking about, are you drafting them at cost? Are you in a snake draft? using a pick inside the top 60 for one of Hader or Hendricks, using a pick inside the top 75 or 80 for mm. one of Chapman or Diaz, or are you going to take the chance that you know, you're not going to miss out on the next tier? Because if the next tier is all clustered together in the 100 to 125 range, that's all fine and well if that's your plan. That group's not that big. Is it worth it to pay up at the top this year, or do you think you're giving up too much in other areas of your roster to secure those top end closers. So you're telling me I can get uh, where tell me where I can get Chapman. Pick 75, pick 80. And who's he up against? Who's around him? Non in the non we'll say non closer yeah, groups. So yeah. If you're looking at starters there, you're looking at Max Fried, Hinjin Ryu, Steven Strasberg, who's healthy right now. I think Strasburg's gonna start moving up now that he's just mm-hmm. seemingly good to go. Those are your starting pitchers. Your hitters are guys like Javier Baez. Eugenio mm. Suarez, 
Jordan mm. Alvarez. Dang. Uh, Cattell Marte is usually hanging around the board there. Sal Perez, if you're going catcher. Teoscar Hernandez, who I think you and I at the price are just way out on. Yeah, there's some minds there, you know? I'm not sure how I feel about Cattell Marte there either. So, yeah, it's a, there's some minefields there, I feel like. Um, that's an interesting, interesting group. Also, those starters are not uh, sort of uh, comfortably in a tier that separates them. You know, like they're they're starting to be in that sort of muddled SP2, SP3 area, right? I mean, like none of those is a, is a... Like if you had one of those as your first starter, you would feel badly about that. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. You're not you're not going to, to get a first starting pitcher in that range. But you could get your best closer. You could get a, a a one. You know what I mean? You could get a CL one, or an SP two three, or an OF two three. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I kind of like this idea of like. Can you get into the top tier? It's it's how I think about like when you're talking about like a two catcher league. Obviously, when you take a catcher, at some point you're gonna you're gonna take a ca- a, a, a bat that's inferior to the people around him, right? <laughs> you're gonna take a catcher who's gonna hit worse than the players that you could draft instead. But you do it because you need to fill those two catchers. And what I try to do in those leagues a lot of times is just get the worst best catcher. You know, I I do think of things in tiers, so. If I've got a big group of SP two threes that we're into, and I could get the last CL one, you know, get the last first closer, like you know, first tier closer, yeah, actually, I like that idea. I like that idea. Just for the sake of comparison, now, if you were looking at Hendricks and Hader a little earlier than Chapman, you were also looking for other players. You're looking at Randy Arozarena. You're looking at Pete Alonso and Luke Voigt. Uh, as far That's as pitchers where it gets go, harder for me, man. Burns, yeah. Corbin Burns versus those two closers, Carlos Carrasco, Sonny Gray, Zach Plesac. Those are back in SP1s. Those are like SP1.5s and stuff, you know, to me. So um, I there is a give and take, and I don't like being – I'm not aggressive on it. But this tale of what I've done at AL Labor has been to, over time, start to invest a little bit in closers. Because I used to think – I'll just find a bunch of closers because there's a ton of closers on the wire. Like where whatever happens in your draft, there will be tons of saves on the wire. However, you can spend a lot of your free agency action budget on it, right? Just chasing closer after closer. And there's a lot of turnaround in those places where there is turnaround. There's more turnaround. Sometimes there's a closer for a week and you just spent $20 on him, and then he loses his job in the next same week. That happens all the time, you know? So you you get to this where you're chasing your own tail. You're spending a bunch of free agent auction money. You're you're spending a bunch of waiver wire currency, whatever it is, and you're and you're also dealing in inferior pitchers. Where Aroldis Chapman is going to give you this awesome 14 strikeout rate, you might be dealing in guys that you know you're like, oh, Richard Rodriguez. I really think he's going to save games for Pittsburgh. Well, he's going to do it with like nine and a half strikeouts uh, per nine and uh, a much inferior fastball velocity and um his his rates and ratios aren't going to be the same so you're losing there too so i think it's worth long-winded i think it's worth getting one good one i'm not going to be i I don't really want to push to get like two good ones or anything i think that would be asking a whole lot and and cost way too much in in your draft or auction all right so one good one does that mean one of those top five or do you open it up to I have a group of Ryan Presley, Nick Anderson, 
Brad Hand, Kenley Jansen, Trevor Rosenthal, and I think Kirby Yates, if he's healthy, can be in this group. He's not quite being drafted as part of this group yet, but now that we know that Rosenthal's in Oakland, we've got the initial vote of confidence from Dave Roberts that Kenley Jansen begins the season as the closer. For all of Brad Hand's faults that we've talked about a few times, the velo, he looks like he's pretty clearly the guy for the Nats. And with Ryan Presley, he does compare pretty favorably to Rysel Iglesias. I wonder if that gap in ADP is going to close. You know, instead of there being a 30 pick gap in ADP, if Presley is going to creep up and he's going to be 10 or 15 picks later than Rysel Iglesias once we get to, to March. Like, is that group that I just named getting one out of that group good enough, or do you have to get one from that first group, or do you prefer to get one from that first group? I think I prefer to get one out of the top three. I really like the idea of Aroldis Chapman there. Um, he seems like he's he's lost ground against those other guys, and I don't think he deserves to yet. Um, but given that, um, a lot of times um, I might be looking for a second starter there because I I I I don't think I'm going to double tap starters in the first two rounds, or or I don't I doubt I'll double tap second third round either. So. Um, 75, you're starting to talk about fourth and fifth round, right? Yeah. Yep. So I think, um, you know, there's a chance I might want to go pitcher there. If I, if I think that the discrepancy is so large and I'm just like, oh man, I can like, there's a top 15 pitcher, starting pitcher still out there. I'm not going to, um, go for the oldest Chapman if we're in a snake draft. I'm going to just hope I can get a, you know, one of these other guys later. I will say that velocity matters to me. So hand is not in that group for me. Uh, Kirby Yates is not in that group for me. Uh, the secondary group and, and somebody that does have great velocity jumps into that. Trevor Rosenthal is in that group for me. He's 11th among these, uh, 116 pitchers I've identified relievers. He's 11th in strikeout rate and eighth in velocity, uh, projected strikeout rate and eighth in velocity. So he, he absolutely has that kind of Edwin Diaz or oldest Chapman quality to him. Also has the bad command of a Diaz and could could lose the job, but uh, I will say that I like Rosenthal, Presley, Iglesias um, as a, and I think I might even throw um, Pomerantz in there um, as my second tier guys that I will uh, take um, if I miss out on those other three. That's like those those are guys I like. I think they I think they generally have some job security. They have some ability, demonstrated ability. They are the closer going into the season. You really want to stay away from unsettled situations going into the season, except for your final picks. Um, so that's uh, that's the group I see as being right there. I think we had a question come in about Ryan Presley. It came from Mike G on Twitter. I uh, wanted to know: Is Ryan Presley capable of being a top five closer? I would say yes. I mean, I, I think he has a firm enough hold on the job to where he could just be the main source of saves all season. The skills are good enough where the ratios could be what you expect from a top five closer. You look at called strikes and whiffs last year, 36.5% for Ryan Presley. That's among the league's best. It's not quite at the Devin Williams, Aroldis Chapman, James Karinchak level, but it's right there with the likes of Edwin Diaz and Nick Anderson and Trevor Rosendahl, and those are all relievers that we feel really good about from a skill standpoint. And I think the thing you mentioned about command earlier is really important. A lot of relievers have bad command. That's why they're relievers. Presley doesn't have terrible command. I think that's an important distinction to make, right? Like low to mid-90s command plus, not quite as bad as living in the 80s where some of these other closers tend to live. So I would say 
He's already right there for me at number six. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Ryan Presley ended up being an $18 closer or $20 closer at season's end. Yeah, yeah. No, and I and I like those group I like the the grouping there. I think the next grouping for me might include you, some names that you mentioned, Karinchak, um, and Anderson. The reason I have them uh pushed down has nothing really to do with velocity or strikeout rate. That's where I just see uh, like a second in command that could overtake them. You know what I mean? Like a like a the, the vice president is too good there. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm-hmm. <laughs> um and I just worry that like Emmanuel Classe could could take that role um or that maybe even Peter Fairbanks has already taken that role. So um I don't see that that's not reflected in the in the uh in the ADP that Pete Fairbanks might be a closer right now, right? Not really. I mean, I think he gets drafted and, and drafted and hold, of course. Maybe he's uh-huh. a late dart in regular leagues with seven-man benches, but he's not getting pushed up into the other guys battling for saves range. There's a whole bunch of pitchers in that situation. We'll get to them in just well, a while. Well, I, I just mentioned it because it's also relevant, relevant to Kenley Jansen. So we've seen Kenley Jansen lose his job in the postseason and then come right back and and have it again, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we've already heard Dave Roberts say like we're at least going to begin the season with Kenley Jansen as our closer, so uh, that gives me some um, confidence in taking Kenley Jansen after this group that we're talking about, or maybe in the back end of it, um, as just a guy who, despite terrible velocity numbers and really middling strikeout rate for this for his role. Uh, might just keep it out of legacy and will at least get the first few saves. Um, so that's where I almost think Nick Anderson should be. Because let's say he's he's better than Kenley Jansen in terms of skills, strikeout rate, velocity, that sort of stuff. He's better than that. However, his team mucks around with anybody, you know, and may have already moved on from him. <laughs> so uh, I can't push Nick Anderson into my top eight, maybe even ten. I, I, I've lost count of where I am. But I can't push him up into the Presley Iglesias territory because I think he's more like Kenley Jansen as a guy who may have already lost his role. And we're just mm-hmm. going to find out about it in the beginning of the season. I think I'm a little more optimistic because the skills really are that good. And I think a lot of they times are, when we get K that. rates above 40%, we get bad walk rates. We get that with Diaz. We get that with Kerenchak. We get that with Craig Kimbrell at this stage of their career. We don't really get that with Nick Anderson. I, I think the fear of the Rays chopping up saves is real. I wonder if it's being exaggerated coming off that postseason. And I think the reason why I'm confident or at least comfortable, I would say, taking the chance on Nick Anderson is that there's about a 60-pick difference between where he goes in the 160s and where Karinchak goes closer to pick 100. Mm. Karinchak, to me, as great as the stuff is, it could be Nick Wittgren, it could be Emmanuel Classe. I have very little faith in the current clarity of that situation. It it could change. If, If Terry Francona comes out in the next three weeks and says, Karinchak's our guy. We're going to use a closer. Karinchak's going to be the closer. Okay, that changes things a bit. I don't really see it being locked in, though. I, I don't expect that to happen. So, you know, if someone wants to draft Karinchak in that spot and he ends up getting 40 saves, they're probably getting really good ratios and a boatload of Ks to go with it. There's a chance that he's closer one, but there's also a chance that he's one of those great high leverage relievers who's helping your ratios and Ks, but not getting you the saves. And I feel like at 
pick 105, 110, where he tends to go. You want the saves. It's, it's just too much risk. Like, pick 160, that's three or four rounds later. I'll take that shot because at that point, that's about where Devin Williams goes, too. I think a non closer reliever is actually a more viable play in 2021 than it has been in a typical year. If we're looking at a season where we expect more pitcher injuries than usual, and the attrition in that pool and the quality of the replacements on the waiver wire for starting pitching to be really low, I think you're better off increasing the quality of your ratios and getting those Ks from a great reliever instead of trying to rely heavily on multiple streaming spots at the back of your rotation. You know, one of the things... You know, you can have like these like kind of mantras and, you know, you know, talk about, you know, draft, uh, draft skills, not roles. You know, you've heard something like that before. That's the Chandler original. And it's like if you said take a phrase from fantasy baseball and paint it on some wood and hang it in the living room, like that's that's where it belongs. Right. Like it's it's a foundational thought for how we look at players. And, and I'm 100% on that. And that's why I'm, you know, I have a piece coming out this week in the draft kit about, you know, using barrels to try and uncover some, you know, that's, that's, a, that's hopefully a skill, not a role. And uh, like, there's some players that'll come out of that with bigger roles because they've shown the underlying power process, the process that you did that, that produces power. So I'm with it. I 100% agree with that. I mean, the whole idea of stuff as an as a number and as an idea is is right in there. But I have to say that I think closers probably puts that mantra at the most. It's a, it stresses that mantra to its core. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. closers. Like how do you evaluate Rafael Montero and Kenley Jansen against James Karinchak? It's so difficult because. Rafael Montero and Kenley Jansen are boring. I mean, there's nothing that really speaks out to them uh, in terms of their velo, their strikeout rate, their track records. Like they've lost closer roles, they've won them again. They've uh, they don't have great strikeout rates. They don't. They, they projected for basically four ERAs. You know, they, 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 you know, for various reasons, their teams may move on from them. The Seattle, because they go to someone younger and are looking to the future or LA because, you know, they've got 8,000 awesome arms in their, in their bullpen. Um, so I just think that it, it, I agree with, uh, I tend towards drafting, uh, for, uh, for skills in almost all ways, but the closer role is one of those ones where you're just not at all valuable without the role. <laughs> you know? And so we're all trying to like, you know, and there's, and there's very few things that have been shown to actually uh, be predictive when it comes to the closer role. One is just usage. So where we're using the eighth before um, that's sort of predictive. And then uh, the other is, is velocity and strikeout rate. So, those are the my, my my those are the skills that I cling to. But what I early on I want to get skills and role, you know, and that's what I pay for. That's what my first two closers in in a sort of fifteen team mixed format. I want them to have skills and role, um, and then uh, the the third pitcher and the fourth pitcher. Those I'll just draft, uh, you know. Basically, velo-based sleepers, guys who were pitching the eighth, guys who I think are behind a weak closer, that sort of deal. That's where I'm more comfortably in the skills bucket. But there, there is a moment, moment where, like, you know, like last year, I thought it was, I thought people were drafting Edwin Diaz too early because we didn't even know if he had the role, and they were drafting him like he was a top five closer, right? 
Yeah, I think that was last year. His ADP is and basically worked the same. Out, I guess, but hasn't really changed all that much from where he was going last year, if my memory serves me right. But the problem with this skills don't necessarily need to be deployed in a role for the, yeah. like the the closer spot doesn't require the most highly skilled reliever, right? We know that from our understanding Modern of baseball. how the game works. Modern baseball <laughs> yeah. is, and, and his teams continue to adapt and, and understand that, oh yeah, actually our best reliever should pitch the seventh or the eighth today instead of the ninth. That almost protects someone like Kenley Jansen because the Dodgers are going to win yeah. so many games as long as he's not so bad that he's a liability He's good enough to close, and then they can mix and match their actual best relievers in the 6th and 7th and 8th, and Kenley gets to save face. So it all kind of works out in this backwards way where someone like that ends up getting the saves, even though you could probably argue there's at least two or three relievers that are equally skilled, if not more skilled than him at this stage in that exact bullpen. Uh, Maybe I got to bump Trevor Rosenthal up, too, thinking about all this. I mean... His situation, it's really good going to Oakland. For every situation like Alex Colome going to Minnesota and screwing things up, we get <laughs> the occasional bone from the closer gods. They throw us a bone and we get Trevor Rosenthal landing in a spot where he doesn't have a lot of competition. Uh, sad day for the J.B. Wendelkin truthers. But hey, you know, if <laughs> Rosenthal breaks down or can't find a plate again. I thought that was a stretch, then- man. Deakman throws super hard has a big strikeout rate. He was going to be a fine closer. <laughs> I don't know why people were on the Wendell. Deakman could have been fine. Wendelkin could have been fine. But Rosenthal's the guy unless, again, the, the control just completely vanishes again. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think the the next place we should really go is looking at that third tier that you hinted at, and then we'll get into some unsettled situations. Craig Kimbrell should be a second-tier closer. He's a third-tier closer because, my Lord, 2019 and 2020 were just brutal from him. But there's still flashes. I think the way his 2020 season ended was definitely a step back in the right direction. I would throw Karinchak in this part of the conversation, even though his ADP is going to take him out of the conversation. He's going to go before you're thinking about these guys. Will Smith, uncertainty about the role. I think David O'Brien covers the Braves for the Athletic. Just had a note out the other day. They have not committed to Will Smith as their closer, so that kind of puts Chris Martin into our our back pocket as someone we have to think about unless they add a reliever late, but there's not really a lot of other relievers out there, right? I mean, it's we're at the point now where someone who's going to close is probably already on the roster in many of these situations. I would throw Rafael Montero in this group, even though he's got the worst skills by far, but he has the job in Seattle. He is the guy, and that carries enough weight to where it kind of keeps him above 
all the other situations that we're going to get to where two or three possible closers are going to be in the mix. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm going to be uh, like a low man um, on some of these guys. But if I had uh, a situation where I ended up with, um, you know, like a Chapman and then um, a Jansen or Kimbrell and then uh, two other relievers that I thought could close, I think I would feel okay about my relief core. And I would feel like uh, I spent a lot less than other people, you know? Um, and so that's the kind of thing that I'm going for. And so I think Kimbrel and Jansen and Montero are actually the oatmeals, <laughs> uh, that could work here. I think that they will drop in drafts. No one's interested in them. Craig Kimbrel. So I, I, I point out the top, two guys who are top 10 in both velocity and strikeouts are, are Edwin Diaz and Aroldis Chapman. The, the ones that are close are Kimbrel, uh, Trevor Rosenthal, um, Liam Hendricks, um, and that's about it. So, uh, Nick Anderson's somewhat close, but that's, that, I mean, not really. He's a 38th in velocity. So, um, those are, Kimbrel still has some of the skills that, that, uh, got him there. He's still averaging 97 on the fastball, still striking everybody out. So, uh, I'd, I'd have him comfortably ahead of Kenley Jansen, but he's in that sort of oatmealish tier. But I would also like to point out that uh, that is the end of the closer rankings for me. <laughs> you know? Like, like w- I feel like we've got uh, three sure things, and then we've got a second tier that's like decent, like sort of Presley Iglesias, um, Hendricks, Pomerantz. Um, who else is in that? that decent group you have hand and I don't, but, um, and Nick Anderson, um, but, so you got that secondary group. Then you have the oatmeal tier, which is the Montero, Kimbrel, uh, Jansen. Maybe you put Saria in there. I don't know. Uh, that's where I would put hand. Um, and maybe the Atlanta closer goes there. If we, if we have one anointed, uh, Jordan Hicks, uh, might come on the back end of that. I think he's 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 probably in. Um, you could put Hicks near, but that that what I, my point is. I think we're gonna. I, I get to like fifteen or eighteen or so, and then I'm like, what? Yeah. Are there like twelve unsettled closer situations this year? I got about That's twelve on the rundown. Yeah, I, I think there are that many. I, I think <laughs> the, I want. That seems like a lot. In in leagues where I can't trade, so in NFBC leagues, I want two out of the group that you mentioned. I really do. I want yeah. two. And ideally, I'm not taking two. Like, I wouldn't want Karinchak and Nick Anderson out of that group. I would take mm-hmm. one of those if I was going to get one. One oatmeal, and, one exciting. And, yeah, pair them with more of a job security, stable sort of situation. Kimbrel Karinchak would be pretty awesome there. I think that would be a pretty powerful couple there. You're getting K's. You could um, <laughs> yeah, literally. You could set your ratios on fire, but you're definitely getting K's. <laughs> literally, yes. <laughs> In the names. <laughs> but uh, I think the dream scenario for me, based on, on prices, I think in a snake, it's going to be Iglesias, even though he's a little overpriced, and Ryan Presley. If I could get them kind of close together, so we're talking like early round seven and then either back-to-back or seven and nine, Again, in a non-trading situation, I think in leagues where you can trade, you can. You push want to double a tap bit. there? I think in that second tier, I'd like to double tap because then uh-huh. I'm getting getting 
good skills, even if they're not great skills, mm-hmm. and I'm getting a lot of job security. And I think those teams are going to be fine. I think Houston and the Angels are both going to win a lot too. So I think volume's going to be pretty good too. I mean, most of these for these good teams, right? For the, for the good closers, Hater, Brewers, good. Hendricks, mm-hmm. White Sox, good. Chapman, Yankees, good. Angels, good. Mets, good, right? Like you go down the list, like these are good teams that have invested in this part of their their bullpen too. So I don't know what that says about Kimbrell though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, they could not be good. be good, and then they could just trade them away, and then just you know, you, there goes all your value. Maybe decent chance though that if there's a team that's having trouble at the end of a game, maybe he just comes in and closes for that team too. It's, yeah, right. It's not always how it goes, but at least the possibility. Let's talk about the unsettled situations, oh, though. Oh, man, so many of them. <laughs> Absolute mess. We'll start with a question from Happy Iowa 28 Who gets the most saves in Minnesota? This is the one. This one irritates me so much. Alex Colomay just... just <laughs> not the yanking, question, right? Not the question. Just the, the fact just, that the Twins were the team to add Alex Colomay. <laughs> yeah. like, I usually like you, Twins. I, I usually think you're a pretty cool AL team. You're not far away from where I am. you got a nice stadium. you got a good vibe around the franchise. And here you go, bringing in a low-K closer like Alex Colomay, who I bet against every single year, and now you're taking saves away from someone I really like in Taylor Rogers. I even liked guys like Duffy in case Rogers broke down or shared part of the role uh, before they brought in Colomay. Now I'm just, unless I'm playing in a league where it saves plus holds, I don't really want either one of these guys. I kind of want to stay away from the entire Minnesota bullpens. Who do you think actually gets more saves? Is it Colomay's job? Because in my mind, he's the guy unless he falls flat on his face. Uh, in my mind, it's Rogers. Why'd they bring in Colomay? He's not dominant. For as effective as he is, he doesn't overpower hitters at all. I think they must believe in his contact suppression. But even that, I think that speaks to an eighth inning role. You know? Because Colome, I think, is their stopper. You know, mm. like he's a guy who comes on when there's people on base. Interesting. The cutter, the cutter is really hard to lift. It's uh, like if there is some brilliance to Colome, it's just the, the the cutter. And there is some actual statistical research that underpinning to this idea that cutters suppress exit velocity. Cutters as a group have the lowest exit velocity allowed. Um, and it may be because of the location they're used in or how they're used or, or maybe because of their movement. But in any case, cutters have the lowest exit velocity allowed and Colome has, you know, made a living out of suppressing, um, you know, the quality of contact. So if you have a guy who suppresses quality of contact and then you have a guy like Taylor Rogers who might strike out twice as many batters per nine, I mean, if it was a good year, uh, then you take the guy, I think, well, what do you think? Would you want like? Because there's also an idea of like you take the guy in who gives strikeouts, who gets strikeouts when you need a strikeout, right? There's somebody on base, you need a strikeout, you bring in Rogers. Yeah, you don't want contact with runners on base. The like, bad stuff happens with contact and runners on base. But what if Rogers gives up more homers? Be worse if he came in and gave up a homer. I think you're describing a scenario in which a team that is a little more progressive would just play the matchups, and they're both going to get saves, and maybe they're both going to get 15 plus. Yeah. And in that case, then you want Rodgers because you're going to get more Ks. Here's the thing I don't understand about Colome. I'm definitely tongue-in-cheek in terms of how much I'm ripping on him here. He's had a good career. He's got a sub-3 ERA and a 118 whip now over 400 big league innings. He's a good pitcher. 
I just don't know how he gets by. I don't know how he does it with so few strikeouts. We saw 25.5% K rate in 2018. Other than that 31.4% K rate way back in 2016, we haven't seen anything quite like that. He's getting swinging strikes, though. You don't usually see a 15.3% swinging strike rate alongside of a 17.8% K rate. That that doesn't add up. So maybe the K rate is going to go up, and I'll be happier about the whole situation. But the K rate has been pretty low for four years running now. Uh, it's very strange. And then the, the, the batting average on balls in play for his career is 274. Uh, over the since 2019, it's around 200. It's uh, it's nuts, man. It's nuts. I don't. This is the kind of person I spent my entire fantasy baseball career fading. Mm. <laughs> I I could be wrong. Like I yeah, I could be wrong. I, I I've been wrong about so many things. It's it's fine. I I I would be. I'll be very interested. I'd love to write the story. Uh, but I just uh, I I can't I have no choice right now but to fade him <laughs> again. <laughs> I'm gonna call this one a split. I'm gonna say that no one closer overtakes the other here, and we're talking about two double digit saves options here in this Minnesota bullpen. Yeah, and remember that there's some Razian quality. I mean, there is a literally Josh Kalk who we talked about um, on the last podcast. Uh, who came from Tampa to to lead their R and D department in Minnesota? Uh, but there's just a raising quality to some of the things they do with their pitching staff and how they work. Um, and so I, I have a feeling that th- that is definitely where they're headed is a, a bullpen by committee that serves them well but doesn't serve us well. And mostly for committees, I think you, you unless they're super cheap, you don't want a part of it. Like in terms of fantasy. If Rodgers falls out to like the back of the top 250, I'm interested there because he's a good enough staff filler. They should get wins yeah. and he will get some saves even if he's not even if it's like a 25 to 17 split in terms of total saves favoring Colome. 17 saves with the ratios that Taylor Rodgers will give me plus the Ks, that plays around pick 250. Then he's a he's a half closer and that's really nice to have as your third option if he's priced like a Late closer two, there's just not enough there for me to get excited about. Yeah, what's he going to cost in AL labor? He's going to be a ten dollar pitcher at least twelve fifteen. He's going to be a fifteen dollar closer. Uh Rogers, I think it'll be seven bucks. Well, see, seven I might be in, but anybody's listening, I know there's some of you out there listening. I'm not probably going to go to twelve or fifteen on the Rogers. So if you want him, go to fifteen, jump in him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I see him. I see Peter Fairbanks right there. I just wanted to point out. I see I see Fairbanks as kind of like a Rogers, you know. Fairbanks will be cheaper in drafts and also in auctions. Great strikeout rate, great velocity. Part of a bullpen by committee. That's so. I guess I'm the low man on Nick Anderson because I'm 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 putting Peter Fairbanks with Rogers. But I just wanted to give Fairbanks one more little piece of love. Let's go to a place we both like, San Diego, where they brought in Mark Melanson as their version of column A to screw things up. I was excited about Pomeranz possibly getting saves. It still could happen. Is this situation similar to what we're seeing in Minnesota, where it's possibly a split? There's also Emilio Pagan there as a candidate, and it's not as though they don't have other interesting arms they could use in this capacity. But do you have a favorite uh, in that group of Padres for saves? Yeah, it's Pomeranz for me. I I think it's Pomerantz. I think he's got the strikeout rate. He's got the velocity. Um, 
I want to know a little bit, strangely, about Matt Strom's knee. Uh, I think it's a little bit meaningful because Matt Strom is the other lefty in that bullpen. And he had some knee issues, and it looks like he had surgery. At some point, I thought he did. I don't know if it was recent, though. It's not showing up on the... Uh, but in any case, uh, if he's all good to go and you see him pitching well in spring and they're talking about him in the back of that bullpen, then I think it's Drew Pomerantz. Because then you've got another lefty and you can play the matchups. Uh, Pagan and Pierce Johnson are not actually that scary to me as as uh, people to take the job away. Um, Melanson, even though he has the lower strikeout rate, is just because he's got a little bit of that column A voodoo. And, you know... It is the cutter again. You know, just worth pointing out that, uh, you know, Melanson has a career Babbitt of 294, but he had a long stretch when he was dominant where they were in the 250s and he was succeeding despite a mediocre strikeout rate. So there's that voodoo again. I'm still saying Pomerantz. I'm betting against voodoo. Yeah. Edge Pomerantz for me, but very similar to how I'm handling Taylor Rogers. I like him better, but he has to slide a little bit. At least ADP on him is like 225, so there's a chance he's going to be there at 250. If he's in that range, I think I would be comfortable taking him as my third reliever because there's a path to saves, but there's good ratios and Ks if he doesn't get there. St. Louis, I think, is really complicated. It sounds like Jordan Hicks is probably going to be the guy eventually. Eventually is very vague. Giovanni Gallegos is a really nice reliever. Alex Reyes is nasty. You want to see some hitters look uncomfortable in the box, watch some highlights of Alex Reyes freezing people. Where are you going with this one? I, I've been chasing Gallegos to this point in draft season because it, it fits again, yet again. Good reliever, even if he's not closing, and I'm okay outside the top 200 with someone like that. I just I don't want to pay a premium knowing that the bottom could completely fall out with those save chances. I've got a, I've got a weird little uh, group forming here. Um, guys who I think are going to be the closer all year, and I just, I'm sort of irrational about it (laughs) um jordan hicks and josh stomont i just think they're going to be closers all year they have great velocity um i think you know st louis i'm a little bit more sure of because i think that they just want to have that guy back there you know and they're gonna they're gonna win more more games kansas city might play some games where they have Holland in or somebody else in to keep Stomont cheap or something, but I don't even think so. The Royals paid their minor leaguers, um, you know, when other teams were not paying their minor leaguers during 2020. And the Royals have been adding pieces like Carlos Santana and like all these little pieces. And while I've derided some of them, that means that they're trying. So I think that they're going to put their best reliever in the closers role and, and go from there. And that's Stomont. So Stomont and Hicks, those are my, um, (laughs) is it like rock solid picks (laughs) (laughs) those are those are my late guys yeah the hard thing with Stomont though is just that Scott Barlow looks pretty good too called strikes Hmm. and whiffs are there command is there but maybe they like him as more of a multi-inning guy they can get more mileage out of him use him in a more flexible role Uh, more bulk I guess would be the thing that works against Scott Barlow but I think he's a nice piece in that Kansas City bullpen too yeah, that's interesting. He wasn't on my radar. Not the same velocity, but he is a three-pitch guy um, and uh, better better walk rates in his past. Stomont's a little bit in the Trevor Rosenthal camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's going to throw the crap out of the ball. 
Uh, but yeah, I think I think for me it's uh, Stomont and Hicks. I mean, I'm not saying that there are not other good relievers in the St. Louis or or, or Kansas City pen. You know, I really like Gallegos. Uh, Ryan Helsley is is a decent pitcher if you're if you're looking for holds. Um, you know, he could be. I think Barlow could be a, a, a good one for holds because I think he's probably very clearly the second best reliever there. I don't even put Holland in that top two for myself. So. Um, that's why, uh, but my my feeling is just like these guys have the standout velo. Have this, they look like closers. They they have closed before. Their teams seem to be suggesting that they're gonna they're gonna close in between. If you read between the lines, and Hicks, the the newest menu item on him is that he looked awesome in his first throwing session. And I mean, he missed all of twenty twenty. I think that uh, he'll be ready from the beginning of the season. Yeah, he would have been able to return, opted out for health reasons in 2020, would have been back from Tommy John at some point in 2020, so fully recovered from the elbow injury, I think, at this point. Let's get to a few rapid-fire through the rest of these. In Philly, Archie Bradley versus Hector Neris versus the field. You got anyone you like there? Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado shows up. He's a good, he's a good NL-only league sleeper. 28th uh, in Velo rank. Um, no, 11th in Velo rank, 28th in strikeout rank. Uh, he was one of my lowest bolds. I bolded anybody that was interesting that wasn't projected for a lot of saves, but was interesting in terms of Velo and strikeout rate. Jose Alvarado is down there with Tyler Matzek in Atlanta, uh, who, who pops for Velo and strikeout rate reasons. But, um, that's a more of a that's yeah deep league uh, only league that's a that's a kind of a dart throw kind of situation um i do think that he could rise to the top above uh Neris because of Neris's pretty poor command Neris to me is very much like Jose Leclerc um where the command really just hurts them because they're trying to do 50-50 fastball uh change up and they, i don't think that they can really necessarily command their change up so if they have any problem commanding their fastball, that's when you have these terrible stretches where LeClerc and Neris have both lost their jobs. So um, I guess the long-winded way of saying Bradley. I will also go Bradley. I've been ranking him a little higher. I think they've seen Neris enough times. They're ready to try something different, and if Bradley doesn't work out, I could see Alvarado being that good deep sleeper. But I don't have Bradley very high. You don't have Bradley very high. No, he's in the early 20s. He's more of a desperation closer, too, where if something goes haywire in the snake draft or if auction yeah, prices yeah. just get crazy, he's one of those guys that I'll throw a dart on hoping to get a closer, too. I don't see more of a ceiling than that from him. Uh, we've talked about Cincinnati a few times. I'm on Garrett. I think Lucas Sims being a little dinged up right now gives me that extra nudge, at least yeah. to begin the season. This one could change hands a few times, but I really think Doolittle being there frees up Amir Garrett role-wise, to not just be their dominant lefty. I think that paves the way for him to work later in games if that's what the Reds want him to do. So if I'm taking a Cincinnati reliever, Amir Garrett is that reliever. Yeah, I've got some Sims shares, and but they're in deep dynasty. And, you know, if you're, if you're already one step behind in terms of health, uh, it's just easier for the team to kind of gravitate towards the healthy one. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Boston, Adovino versus Barnes. Do they do the new thing and go Adovino, or does Barnes get another shot at it? I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I I don't know, man. I don't know. This one, I feel like they're very similar. <laughs> you know, like, they just, they have outside strikeout rates and no command, like, not very good command. Um, Adovino, you know, he's been talking about shaping some pitches differently and having, like, three or four shapes on his breaking ball maybe this year. I like that, uh, but Matt Barnes has slightly better velocity, right? But then they also have never used Matt Barnes very convincingly as a closer. <laughs> um, Barnes by a hair? I, I wouldn't want to pay a lot for Barnes. I think Barnes goes below Archie Bradley as a ho- shrug and hope you got a closer too. I've been lumping Adovino in with Bradley. I've actually got Adovino a little ahead of Archie Bradley for strikeout potential, but mm-hmm. it's a section of the rankings that I feel pretty terrible about. Every time <laughs> I look at it, I shuffle some things around thinking I'll have it figured out, and it it just leads to more questions. I, I think <laughs> I'd really like to not have any exposure to the Boston bullpen if I could help it. I think I'm going to go Adovino, though, with the hope of getting that slightly higher K rate. We've seen some really good seasons from out of, you know, when he's been good, we haven't seen seasons quite like that yeah, from, from Barnes. Barnes. So I think What's that's the what, cost. Adovino's low, too, huh? really low. I mean, out in February, the earliest he's gone is 184. That's uh, pushing it. ADP's 439. Wow. I think that trade was pretty early in the month. So he's pretty cheap. If you're looking at like pick 350, pick 400, fourth reliever. Okay. Yeah, throw that dart because he's a drop. He's an easy cut if he doesn't win the job. And if you don't feel good about him as a high leverage staff filler, you can go get one of those off the wire and get the ratios from somebody else if Adovino isn't getting you the saves. How about Texas? You mentioned Jose Leclerc, you know, with the split and his pitch mix, with the command being shaky. Leclerc versus Jonathan Hernandez. I actually like Jonathan Hernandez better. I'm glad Leclerc is healthy, but. I'm very intrigued by the younger option here. Yeah. Um, Leclerc is protected for much much more uh, in the way of strikeouts. 13 strikeouts per nine to Jonathan Hernandez is 8.8. Uh, but Hernandez throws harder and does not have the just terrible, terrible command 
uh, Leclerc does. So I'm going against my numbers a little bit here uh, in terms of Hernandez's uh, projected strikeout rate. But, you know, Hernandez also, I wonder if this is the case. Hernandez was a starter not too long ago. And I wonder if they're not converting the strikeouts. Uh, you know, they're relying heavily on a nine, uh, one strikeout per inning from Hernandez in 2020, when in 2019 he had a higher one, and then everything b- before that has starts in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we saw the velo jump up. I mean, he was up high 90s with the average velo, mixes in yeah. the slider a lot, and throws a few change-ups too. So he's actually a three-pitch closer starter, with big velo. You know? like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like Hernandez. I think I'll take Hernandez. Yeah, I, li- I like Hernandez. I think the uh, projected strikeout rates are too low. I think the full-time start- reliever into his third season, full-time relieving, I think he'll put it all together. I think he'll be the, the closer there. I think you're right. Yeah, he's cheap too. I mean, ADP outside the top 400 right now. I really like Jonathan Hernandez where he's going. He's a great late dart. Uh, Kansas City, we touched on this one before. You are on Stomont. I am on Barlow. I think they're both pretty interesting. Greg Holland will probably get 30 saves this year and, and ruin our <laughs> lives. So watch out for Matheny on that one. They just they didn't really lean on one closer for very long in the shortened season. It was a bit of a revolving door there. So I'm just wondering if they're going to really yeah, patch it together and shuffle people around and three guys end up with eight to ten saves and a few more get a couple along the way in Kansas City. Uh, San Francisco could be interesting because they've added a couple guys lately. We talked about the Aaron Sanchez signing in the depth starters on part three of the starter preview. Jake McGee might be their best reliever if Sanchez is working as a starter, which is the plan, at least for now. Jake McGee looks a cut above everybody else they could throw out there. And I think prior to adding McGee, I was going to do the shrug emoji for the Giants. But now I think if I'm throwing a dart here, McGee is pretty clearly the guy. There's also, um, and this is a phrase I know a lot about, uh, it is time to poop or get off the potty uh, for a one (laughs) Reyes Moranta. And um, the team has kind of put him on notice separately for health and dedication reasons, it seems. Um, But, uh, you know, he's three seasons in. He's got a career ERA of 266, but he also has um, what we call around here the Reyes Moranta experience, uh, which is uh, bad command. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. hilariously bad command at times. But the stuff to be a closer, um, and, you know, he should come in averaging 97 miles an hour, you know, with uh, 12 strikeouts per nine and uh, and four to five walks per nine. So um, I'm not sure how to rank that necessarily against, you know, McGee's one-pitch um, brilliance. <laughs> one-pitch left-hander has like 30 career saves <laughs> and yet has been a, a really good reliever. I, it's just a, it's one of the stranger packages out there. And then they've got Matt Whistler, who's going to throw like 75% sliders this year. I guess he's the, the new Sergio Romo or something. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's a very strange pen uh, and maybe it'll work because they've got all these different looks, but uh, it, traditionally in a traditional look, I think it would be Reyes Moranta would be my favorite for, for saves there. Yeah, if he were totally healthy, I'd feel a little better. I mean, we'll see where he's at as spring training rolls along. And to be honest, since we got to the Kansas City 
breakdown here. These are teams whose closer situation I'm really trying to avoid. Like, I don't even <laughs> want to throw late darts in most of these bullpens. San Francisco, if I had to throw one, it's McGee. I would try to throw the dart into a different bullpen. Uh, with Arizona, Stephen Crichton and Joaquim Soria are the two options there. I think this is an easy avoid for me. I don't think Crichton's good. Soria's really old. I mean, what are they both going to lose this job at some point this season? Is that how this plays out? I chatted you something as I was. I was looking at two players, and one of them was Crichton. You're like, that's easy. The other guy, I don't think Crichton's good. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I took a, I took a look after you said that, and um, yeah, I don't. The, the strikeout rate doesn't speak well for him. Uh, the walk rate, I mean, he has decent command, but um, I don't. It, you know, the velocity doesn't speak well for him. Uh, nothing like my traditional. Uh, in my traditional toolbox, speaks well for him. Saria's uh, at least got that, um, you know, that secret starters arsenal where he throws uh, four pitches, you know, three of them fairly regularly um, and um, has decent command. I just, uh, I think that the end is near for him. 36 years old, man. Yeah, I don't want to rely on him for saves, uh, so... Pretty Ginkle, easy team to Ginkle avoid. Maybe later on, Ginkle has the velo. He's got to bounce back from a pretty horrible 2020. I did I mean, like Ginkle going into last season, though. So he's he's the watch list guy. I don't think I'm even like drafting Ginkle in NL only. I think it's more of a what does he look like in April? If he looks good in deep leagues, I'll start speculating on him. Hopefully before he gets the job, so it doesn't cost 20 percent of my fab budget to find out. If he can actually hold on to the opportunity. If Ginkle, how about this? If Ginkle moves into the eighth um, and isn't walking six per nine, um, get early shares of him. That's what we're talking about, right? Get yeah. like get him then before Saria loses his job or before Crichton loses the job, because then you'll have him on your bench when they lose their job, and they always go to the eighth inning person. So, or they usually go to the eighth inning person. So. I think that's that's the kind of move with Ginkle. And and I actually I would say it's the same move for me that I would do with Tanner Rainey. I don't know that I need to draft Tanner Rainey because he also has the the command issues sometimes, the hair up his nose. But if um if he's pitching well and Hand is pitching okay and no one's talking about Rainey, but Rainey's in the 8th and Hand is throwing 90.5 miles per hour sort of deal, I will roster Rainey as a Hey, this might go south quickly, and he might be in the in the closers role before long. Yeah, it's a good way to look at that situation. Uh, how about Miami? Yimi Garcia versus Anthony Bass. Love Anthony Bass closing for the Marlins, just from a pun standpoint. <laughs> yeah, thirty-three uh, year old who struck out seven for nine last year. That's what you want. That's uh, Yimi, Yimi Garcia want. was really good last year. Had an ERA below one, had a whip below one, 19K. is only 15 innings, but uh, really a nice comeback story. The boy, the numbers the last couple of years with the Dodgers, like 2019 looked really good on the surface. There were some underlying concerns because of the home run rate. I think that's one area that he's really struggled with in the past. Didn't give up any home runs in that limited sample last year, but had a terrible home run rate in 18 and 19 with the Dodgers, and that is the quickest way out of the ninth inning rolls to give up a few dingers. 
Yeah, yeah. It looks like I'm wondering here if you've got a uh, a pitch change, a pitch change, a pitch mix change, a pitch change on Yumi Garcia. We're seeing some people. Oh, look at that. Uh, he Cutter. started throwing his slider a lot harder in the end of 2019 and through 2020. And uh, yeah, he lost a little bit of drop on it, but uh, that pitch seems to work a lot better for him that way. Uh, and and weirdly, I think it makes his other pitches play up. It, it makes his four seem better. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a, a bit of a pitch mix change there that explains some of what is, what's going on with Yumi Garcia. I think I, I'd I, have I guess to go Garcia. Give him by a nose. Yeah. <laughs> there's a pitch mix change. The velo's okay. The strikeout rate's probably going to be better. Yeah, Yumi Garcia. Yeah, I mean, Bass, uh, he had picked up a little velocity a few years ago, and he's held on to a lot of it, but it's two pitches, not a lot of Ks, a little older at 33 already. I'll take the younger option who made that adjustment last season. <laughs> we're pro- we're obviously like pro-oatmeal. We should have an oatmeal sponsor. <laughs> we'll get one. We're, pro- we're, we're very pro-oatmeal here, but I will have to say that uh, uh, the one position that oatmeal works the least in your favor is, is closer. It could you know, be just a seen, bad oatmeal, yeah. like just flavorless oatmeal. It's like, what would that be? <laughs> it doesn't really get stale. It's just, I always it's, think of like Joe Borowski. <laughs> Joe Borowski is my patron saint of of bad closers. I mean, I got I to gotta get the numbers in front of me. Joe Borowski. Patron saint of five fifteen ERAs. <laughs> yeah, is that how bad it was? Okay, 33 saves. Oh, so he had one good year with the Cubs. He had 33 saves and a 263 ERA. And then later with the Indians, there it is. 45 saves with a 507 ERA. <laughs> I was close. I, I, Struck I, I hadn't eight, looked that up in a while. Less than eight for nine. Yeah, you were close. Came in was real close. 87-8 on the fastball that year. <laughs> 2007 was a different time. Things were yeah. strange back then. I don't. I don't think that we'd ever. I don't think we'll ever see another closer with a seven strikeouts per nine and an eighty-seven mile an hour fastball. I think that is something we can say is gone. Look up Dan Kolb sometime. There's right. some yeah. incredible <laughs> low strikeout rate closing happening in uh, Dan Kolb's past. But two more teams on the unsettled list. This feels like it's been going on forever. Uh, Colorado, Scott Oberg, who is kind of healthy. Uh, he's, I think he's the guy when healthy, but he's had multiple issues with blood clots, which is really scary. Daniel Bard was a great comeback story last year. You're dealing with Rockies closers, which is problematic because of the ballpark, but I actually feel better about taking a chance on a Colorado closer than like a mid-rotation starter because they can... They won't get screw through up as 50 many or innings. 60 innings. Yeah, yeah. It's, we have a few. I mean, we have a few random good seasons from Colorado closers. Houston Street about a decade ago could do it. Had a few, uh, yeah. More recently, uh, let's see. There's John Axford snuck one in where he got a bunch of saves. Uh, so there's, you know, I'm not listing all of them off the top of my head, but there are some decent Colorado closer seasons out there. Give me Bard. Give me Bard, dude. Throw a 97 again. Bring the heat. I do, I do like the story on Bard. If I'm going to take one, I'll, I'll, I'll side with you. I'll take Bard on this one. Uh, but all the best to Oberg. I just hope he's completely healthy and able to make it through the season without any any further health issues. Uh, this last one might actually be more interesting than I'm giving it credit for based on placement. Uh, Detroit. 
for years Ooh, we thought got, Joe Jimenez was one. the guy. It's I over, right? It. It's not Joe Jimenez anymore. He's he's an afterthought. Oh ho. Oh, Jimenez will always have a place in my heart. Um, And by the way, that joke is not uh, about Joe. It's about me being a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) If anybody's wondering what that joke is about. Yeah, it's Um, the time that Eno hit the soft J on Joe in the pronunciation (laughs) by mistake. That's all. Yeah, it's not. He's nothing. There's nothing about. uh, I don't know anything about his uh, his habits with uh, sleeping around. Um, He uh, he's lost a lot of the velo, man. Uh, He was he was sitting 96 in 2018, and he was down to 94 last year. I just um, I don't know with the and you have the like combined uh, 1920 numbers. Do you have that in front of you? I do. What's the, the home stats. run rate on that? Home run rate for the last two seasons: two point one nine home runs <laughs> per nine. Yeah, later, dude. You're not you're not closing with that. And it's a, and it's a, and like now when you look, the good season in 2018 was the outlier season. His home run rate for his career is one point six. And if you take that outlier season out, he basically has given up two homers per nine his whole career. Real bad, real, real bad. Yeah, I got, I got a favorite in that bullpen, and it ain't him. What are you gonna do if you have to try and chase saves in Detroit? What you gonna do, with that monkey? I'm gonna get Gregory Soto, baby. I'm all over Gregory Soto. Brian Garcia does not strike people out. I don't, I don't see it, man. This, this is like vapors. Four point nine eight strikeouts per nine, projected for seven point. ATC projects him for seven point one. Yikes! I like Gregory Soto. I've got I've got multiple Gregory Soto shares. I think he he could he could take it all year. Of course, we had Mister Jimenez that we I felt as rock solid about, but he's my new. You could say he's my new Jimenez. Your new Jimenez. That's a good uh, good place for him to be. <laughs> I'm I'm not really interested in anybody in the pen. <laughs> for now Soto I guess if I have to choose one but this is a bottom five for me right now I hopefully won't have to deal with it at all at any point there is um, there is a correlation between strength of team and save chances um, the better uh, correlation to look at is how good the bullpen is around the closer and how, how good the starting pitching is uh, that's the better your starting pitching, the better your pitching staff is overall, the more safe chances you get. And that makes sense because you've got to have a guy who bridges, you know, to the ninth inning. You've got to have a lead <laughs> to, to, to save. Um, so I, I agree with you that this is bad um, and maybe just a total avoid. But there is also a lot of kind of raw clay when in Detroit, you know, where – what if Casey Mize and Scooble, like, what if it's, this is their year, you know? And if that happens, what if that pushes Michael Fulmer into the pen? And what if he's, like, amazing as a reliever? Like, like that's not even, I'm not, these aren't crazy ideas. Because a lot of uh, subpar starters are, have been great relievers, you know? So mm-hmm. Fulmer, like, Fulmer would be pumping 97s in the bullpen, I feel like. Um, and then it wouldn't matter that his changeup is no good. So, I don't know. Um, I could see this team kind of turning around kind of fast and um, it being all right. But 
yes, there are reasons. Uh, closers, closer, closer committees don't usually produce um, one closer that's really good for don't produce like good bets on closers. And then bad teams often have just either a bad bullpen, bad pitching staff, not as many saves. So there are reasons to just kind of peace out on, on, on situations. I'm not sure if I'm all the way there with Detroit, but like I could see it. What are the other ones? You know, Colorado and Colorado though, like Scott Oberg's good when he's healthy. Like look at his number. Scott Oberg is good, but yeah, Colorado, Detroit, Arizona, Miami, Arizona. San Francisco, gonna, and Kansas City. Of, Phil, yeah, Arizona's going to play a lot of good teams. That's the skunky six pack right there. Like that's that's the beer mm. someone left in the sun. I just I'm just I don't need it. Like I'll 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 decline. That's uh, it's no good. I'll have I just the way that I work. I'll have one or two um, guys. I've, I, you know what? I'm gonna try to try to get ahead of myself and be like, no, Eno, you can only have one. <laughs> you can only have you one beer that one, sat in the sun for three yeah, hours. You can only have one player from these six bullpens. Well, what if we put it that way? I think mine well, is Gregory Soto. What if you you could pick one from those six bullpens? Who would it be? Probably Bard. No, mm. actually Barlow. Scott Barlow. The oh, reason here's the reason you, why. You really like Barlow. Here's the reason. I, I think you have the possibility of getting the most innings with good ratios. You might get some wins and you might get some saves. Like there's there's a bunch of different ways you could get something out of Barlow. And there are a lot of ways that you'll get nothing but pain from like half the guys that we're looking at here. So it's Barlow as sort of the the guy that could do something for me in this range. If it's purely a saves play, probably Bard. But if it's just draft the best pitcher out of that group, Scott Barlow. <laughs> it's the most oatmeal question with the most oatmeal answer that we've ever <laughs> asked on this entire show. You really, and I hate yeah. myself for having you the love, conversation. Love the Barlow. <laughs> love Great. The Glad Barlow. I got my name attached to Scott Barlow now. That's, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, sweet. DV Just what I was hoping Scott to accomplish Barlow. today. I'm writing it down on the notes. <laughs> I rolled out of bed today, looked out the window, and said, Scott Barlow. And I just, <laughs> just walked into today, the office and got started. I will started. attach my name to yours. <laughs> what Did we talk about Baltimore at all? Oh, you know what? I just forgot they existed. That's they fit in this group. How about Pittsburgh? Let's put them in the seven. No, we got Ricardo Rodriguez or Richard Rodriguez. So yeah, we'll you were there. going Richard. Yeah, we're yeah. I think Richard. he's. The, I think he's the guy. But I mean, I think Crick has to show he's healthy. But if Crick shows he's healthy, he can be back in. I don't like that situation being consistent all year. But Rodriguez has a leg up over some of these names we've talked about just for the beginning of the season. I could call on the Orioles. We did simply miss them. Hunter Harvey, Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez. Like, what are you doing with this group? Dylan Tate. I mean, I think, I think it's Hunter Harvey going in. Um, wasn't it him last year? He's got people zero thought saves. it was going to be, no. but yeah, he didn't get a save Who last got year. The saves last year. Tanner Scott, Cole mm. Sulcer got the saves. Last Sulcer year. got some. <laughs> Givens maybe got like two before he left. Okay, so I'm just going to go with Tanner Scott. Uh, Tanner Scott is one of my bolded names at the bottom here where he ranked uh, 33rd in strikeout rate projection and 21st in velocity, 97 mile an hour fastball, 11 strikeouts per nine. 
I think uh, Tanner Scott's a guy. Um, and I think that Hunter Harvey uh, may still have some of that uh, prospect pedigree attached to his name. Uh, because even though he throws super hard, did not strike out many batters last year, and a 10.3% swing strike rate uh, makes me think that he's not going to strike out a lot of people going forward either. You know, Scott kind of reminds me of Jose Alvarado with a clear path to saves, right? A lot of the things that you would like about Alvarado and his profile are things that Tanner Scott brings to the table too. I, I think with Hunter Harvey, the injury history is just too much. Even for a reliever, I just I, I want him to be healthy and it'd be great if he could take the job and run with it. I just don't think I want to throw, uh, throw him on my rosters expecting that to, to play out that way. Agreed. Last topic. We got to talk about a few uh, Sparps and bulk relievers, right? We talked a lot about some setup guys that we like along the way. Um, you know, we talked about different fallback options like Gallegos. And uh, I think he's, he stands out to me as one. Like Taylor Rogers kind of stands out to me now as one that makes some sense if the price falls enough. Pomeranz, like those kinds of guys are unsettled closer situation guys that we like, good skills guys we like. Emmanuel Classes, probably a later option that fits into that conversation as well, given my lack of confidence in Karinchak. But the other way you can use these spots is to find bulk. And you're looking for the guys that are just getting a ton of innings because they're uh, more like starters with an opener in front of them, or you're actually looking for legitimate starters that have the designation as a reliever, Sparps. So as you're looking to find those quality innings and find that flexibility, who's standing out to you in this year's pool? You know, I, I tried to look first at, yeah, relievers that had starts in the last two years and Pomerantz is at the top. Um, but uh, there's also Diego Castillo has been a favorite of mine. I love having him around for ERA strikeouts, sometimes wins, sometimes saves, sometimes holds. Um, he's in my uh, longest term dynasty league, 12 team dynasty, where we have these SP slots. I just, if I don't have an SP that day uh, for that slot, I just throw Castillo in there and get some, get some yumminess. So I, I, I like, uh, I like players like that. And, um, depending on where, how many starts you need, uh, Lucas Sims, uh, could do that for you this year. Uh, even if he doesn't start, Gregory Soto had some opener starts. Uh, that could help you out. Um, so, I, and then kind of deep, deep, Colin McHugh uh, signed with the Rays. I think he'll make that team, and I think he'll be a bulk follower if I had to guess his role. And um, that's an interesting situation where he won't cost you a game started, but if you can kind of follow along and know when he's going to play, you can get basically a, a secret start, you know? You could get four innings of decent of decent numbers, so that's uh, that's my uh, guess on Colin McHugh. I think. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of looking for the opportunity to get extra innings and K's from relievers by having someone starting at that designation for sure. Adrian Morihone, I think, is a, another good one that could mm-hmm. be pretty flexible in how he's used this year. Uh, the Dodgers have a couple of guys, so if you're playing your league on Yahoo this year and you're using starting pitcher and relief pitcher designations, it's really important to realize that Yahoo's position eligibility is working where they're not taking eligibility away from what players had entering last season. So if they qualified based on what happened in 2019 for 2020, Yahoo's not taking away 
designations if you failed to qualify again at those positions going into 2021. Uh, that opens up more flexibility. There are more multi-position eligibility players. There are more SPRPs, SPARPs available in their player pool uh, as a result. Uh, so this this is definitely one of those areas where you want to spend some time. You want to kind of dig into the player list, look at the draft room. This is where I actually think doing a mock draft on the site you're going to play on is pretty helpful just to poke around in the player pool. doesn't really matter how you build the team. If you don't have time for that, just look at how the draft room is set up. Look at what's going on with the ranks. If you want to re-rank players, you can do that, but at least know where everybody's at and what kind of extra wrinkles there might be for your team this season. Uh, Matt Strom, who did have knee surgery, you mentioned him earlier. He had uh, patella surgery back in October. He fits really well in in these kinds of, of roles because you can get two or three innings at a time I don't think he'll start very often, but being able to move him between those spots is always nice to to have that flexibility as the season goes on. Yeah, especially if you're in the holds leagues. I mean, that's 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 where the number one thing for me is that holds are actually a, an easy thing to get from former starting pitchers because what you get are these young pitchers that come up um, and are either not ready for uh, starting or end up the team just decides they aren't going to be a starter. So in those first couple of years, they still have that SP eligibility, but they're really just a reliever. Um, and so, you know, I think that somebody like that could be uh, Michael King. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what ends up with Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin, but they may provide value in that sort of way. Uh, Morahan was a great number, a great get. Um I, I I want I'm, I want like Velo. I want a young player coming up. Julian Merriweather, um, I think is the name because th- uh, I really like Thomas Hatch and Julian Merriweather as young uh, pitchers that are on the cusp that do have starters arsenals and have a lot of Velo um, and could fit in this year. They're they're here. They're ready. The problem is that they just came out and said Thomas Hatch is further along and he's going to be a treated as a starter basically and stretched out as such. Julian Merriweather, we have to protect his innings, so he's going to be in a more of a hybrid role. I think that also could mean Julian Merriweather ends up in the minor leagues. Um, so as much as I love Julian Merriweather's stuff, I think it would be a little bit uh, maybe like a year too early uh, to jump on him this year. But uh, that doesn't mean he's not a good pickup for, for keeper leagues. I think Tajay Antone is, is a really interesting uh, situation here where he's likely to have SP and RP eligibility. He may end up doing both things this year, and he may end up being very good at both. Mm-hmm. So. And for what it's worth, the default on Yahoo, three starts will get a pitcher to add SP eligibility, and five relief appearances gets them to add relief pitcher availability eligibility. So like Thomas Hatch, for example, is a reliever only to start the season, but if he's in the rotation right away, he'll have the SPARP flexibility uh, by the middle or end of April. So that's kind of nice to keep tabs on that too. Uh, we had one specific question about someone who actually does have SPRP designations, Freddie Peralta. Oh, well, I was just looking at him. <laughs> I mean, like he's he's definitely, so he fits for sure. Even in leagues that don't use the SP and RP designation, I think Peralta fits into the group that we sort of discussed in passing earlier. Pitchers who are good enough to be in your lineup in a 15-team mixed league, regardless of their role. And I don't expect Freddie Peralta to get saves. Maybe he'll have a three-inning save or something like that at some point. Uh, But I think there's a path for him to maybe be a starter if there's a need there. And if he's not starting, he's a good enough bulk reliever 
where you're happy. You're getting good ratios and a steady K rate for the times that you're using him. Yeah, and uh, for what it's worth, a pitch mix change there for him with the new slider. Um, and he's the kind of guy that the fastball uh, has, you know, he releases it with so much extension and has so much jump and it's uh, so lively that that's basically fueled all of his excellence to date. Um, and the I think the problems that you've seen have been from trying to find uh, reliable secondary pitches, right? And uh, if the slider really was the thing that, you know, quote unquote, brought the room together, uh, maybe those maybe those first uh, those first inning troubles that Peralta's had in the past uh, will go away. You know, maybe those were just, uh, you know, they, he was throwing the fastball. They knew he was throwing the fastball and he became predictable and uh, and gave up homers in the first inning and it all fell apart. So, you know, Peralta has a lot of things uh, going in his favor and he's on a team that will need his innings. Uh, so I think he's he's absolutely uh, a good sort of bench uh, arm where you kind of say, hey, I think there's an opportunity here. I don't know what exact form it's going to take. A 47 to 12 strikeout to walk in 29 to 30 innings last season. 15 appearances. One of those was a start for Peralta. Got the ERA just under four, 116 whip. My kingdom. If any member of the Brewers radio or TV broadcast booth refers to Freddie Peralta's slider as the rug at any point this season, <laughs> I will be on the floor. I will be just dead with laughter if any of them could work that in because, I mean, it really does change what he brings to the table as a pitcher. I think throwing 80% fastballs, it just wasn't going to work as anything more than an, even a short reliever if he can command that slider consistently, we get back to the possibility of Freddie Peralta being a deep sleeper to start and be a good starter. I think that's actually in his range there, of outcomes. So <laughs> I like there, him. There, there are overcomable obstacles in the starting rotation in front of him is how I'll put it. <laughs> you know, you've actually been nicer to the world than I have on this episode. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the mean host today with my um, Stephen Crichton analysis <laughs> right, uh, from yeah. a little bit earlier. I, I don't mean to be mean. I just I looked at his player page and didn't find anything that was really that interesting liked. to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I know we didn't cover every possible reliever because it's impossible. Hopefully this was uh, helpful and enlightening in some way. If it was, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. Hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Hello to our YouTube visitor, viewers. Thank you for jumping on and, and checking out our show there. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can email us. Ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to reach us. And if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic yet, you can get one for $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. We also have a listener survey we're dropping into the show notes as well. I will try not to forget to drop that into the show notes. Thank you to those of you who've already taken the time to do that. Give us some feedback about all the shows we're doing here at The Athletic, and it helps us serve you better going forward. So that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.